pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be here to worship you on the Sabbath. Father, we want to honor you today. I pray, God, that we cast aside every distraction. I pray, God, that we will look to you right now at this time. Father, I pray, God, as we transition to the message, God, I pray, God, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. Father, watch over us. Protect us today. God, our lips. God, our hearts. God, open up our ears and our hearts to hear your voice today. Father, we thank you. We love you. We give all glory to you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. All right, let's take a seat. Let's sit down and let's greet our neighbors. Let's take a moment to give a big smile and greet one another. All right, let's go right into it today. Um, the message, the title is called, You Are the Deuteronomy Generation. So please turn to your neighbor and say, you are, you are. handsome. No, you are the Deuteronomy Generation. Went down memory lane this week and the week before, and I found a newsletter from our old church, the church that we were part of, and they asked uh, each one of the pastors to write uh, like, a, like a newsletter passage in terms of you know, what we want to see in this, the vision that we have in the ministry that we are in, the ministry that we are part of. And in this vision, as I wrote it, and at this time it said Andrew Chun, right, Chun Dosa, right? It's like, it's funny because I think this was like back in 2013, but as I read it, I felt encouraged and renewed because this is exactly what we're doing and this is exactly why we're here as Christians living here in 2019. In this time and age, this is exactly why God has called us to be, to be faithful in the place that God has called us to be. So the title is called Passing the Baton and it says Andrew Chan Chunduza and then it's like weird, right? And I was reading it I was like, oh wow, it's amazing because I felt like the theology that I have now is still the same as it was back then. And I was happy because, if anything, in fact, it got matured over time. In fact, it got sharpened, but it's the same idea, it's the same principle behind of why we are called to be Christians in this day and age. So it says, passing the baton, it says this. Growing up, one of my favorite races in gym class was passing the baton. It was my favorite because running and racing was my passion. Since running brought me so much joy, I ran everywhere, to school, to home, and sports, and events, and this is true. I, I share with you guys, we're going to go bike riding soon. Um, back then, when I, didn't I didn't have a bike. My friends would ride their bikes, and I would run with them. Like, I, was, I was that fast. Like, I'm not kidding. But as fun and thrilling this race was, there's an important lesson I have learned from it. I believe the race of passing the baton aligns with what God has called our EM to be. As Moses passed the staff to Joshua, who was the next generation, I believe that God is calling us to do likewise. We are to rise up as new leaders for the next generation. It is a duty and a privilege as God has been so faithful and patient with the generations before us. And throughout the ages, I am convinced on the depth of my heart that God will continue his faithfulness in and through us as well. However, we must repent and surrender to his will, and follow his purpose for our lives, both personally and communally. God is patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but instead be drawn to repentance and have eternal life with him. Comparing our walk with God as a journey and a race is a critical lesson to learn and to understand as Christians. Apostle Paul compared our walk with God as a race. 
Paul reminded us to throw off everything that hinders us, to put to death the sins that so easily entangles us, and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Toward the end of his life, Paul gave a life's confession to a young man named Timothy, who Paul also considered as his own son. I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I have kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4.7. Paul concluded with, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, 2 Timothy 4.8. If, if, if I was to be asked what I desire for this generation... And for the following generations, I would hope that we could be bold as we enter and embark in this narrow and sometimes uncertain journey. Though it will be a difficult and trying road, it will also be the most joyous and rewarding one, for we have victory through Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is He who has already conquered over sin and death. As Joshua prepared to lead the new generation of people without Moses, which is what we're going to talk about today, God reminded Joshua of the promises he has given to his forefathers. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the same message that God is saying to us today. And I am truly humbled, excited, grateful, privileged, and honored to be able to serve the EM ministry under the church and be part of this amazing family. Thank you and God bless you. When I read it, I was like, whoa. And then now we are here. And it was just going down memory lane. And again, say to your neighbor, you are the Deuteronomy generation. This is a new baton, and this is a new generation, and this is our generation. Statistics tell us that over the past 20 years, 50% of church membership have gone down. Especially teachers, we understand the teachers, the students that we see. I have a friend who's a teacher. It tells me about these individuals, the way that the kids are growing up these days, the things that they're learning, that their faith is not the way that it used to be. So in the context of Deuteronomy, the context here is Moses, he is an older male. He is an older man, and he is about to die. And the truth is that true wisdom and knowledge are repeated things. You see in Deuteronomy that Moses gives repeated things, repeated laws, repeated things, meaning it's passed down from generation to generation. And in Deuteronomy, Moses explains some new and repeated laws for the younger and for the newer generations. The days of old. He talks about the days of old. When God rescued them from the Red Sea, from Egypt, And he's pretty much saying, do not repeat what your parents did. Don't die in the desert. If we understand the story, the context, Moses, he's passing the baton to Joshua, to the new leader. Moses, he can't enter. He's not allowed to go into the promised land. And all the older generations are dying off. It's time for the new generation to come forward and to take over. And the lesson that we can learn from the book of Deuteronomy is a very important lesson. Yes, it's the Old Testament. Yes, it could be boring at times, reading the Old Testament. But the principles that we can learn from Deuteronomy is is so crucial, it's so priceless, that we must take it, make sure that we open up our hearts and ears to listen to the voice, to what God is trying to teach us through the book of Deuteronomy. And I have three points for you today. Number one is this, Shema. Turn to your neighbor and say, Shema. Shema means to hear and listen. So let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. It says, Hear, meaning listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord alone. 
It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Meaning, love the Lord your God with all the might, with all your might. He's saying, remember the ones who were before you and how rebellious your parents were. Don't do what they did. That's what Moses is saying. He's teaching the younger generation, don't do what they did. Moses is telling them, be faithful. Become even better than me, even better than your parents. What are some things that we can learn, some of the things that we grew up learning? We've seen parents borrow money. There were a lot of money issues, families being divided. We learned things about now how we have to handle finances. Our parents had tough, especially being immigrants, having to work and having to make sure that their ceiling is our floor, right? Making sure that, that we stand upon their shoulders, that they want, what they want for us is the best things, what they couldn't get. They want the best thing for us, and that's Moses' heart. That's the heart of Moses right now. It's a parent heart, and he wants the best for this generation. Yes, he's not going to enter the promised land, but he wants the best thing for the next generation. He doesn't want them to repeat the same things. What made them die in the desert, he didn't want them to repeat the same thing what their parents did. He's saying, learn from us, learn from the parents. Stand on our shoulders and go further. That our ceiling is your ground. Why it's important in Deuteronomy is because the Israelites, they're about to enter. They thought the desert was hard. But what they're about to enter was going to be, become even harder. It was going to be the most difficult. It was going to be one of their greatest trial, temptation, testing of all. Because they were about to encounter Canaan gods. Repeat after me. Canaan gods. Lowercase g. This is where people worship idol gods. And these gods, they represent the creation, not the creator. Right? Our God, Yahweh, is the creator of all things. But these individuals, they served and they worshipped these created things. Canaan gods, idol gods that represent the creation, not the creator. So stars, the sun, the weather, human pleasure, sex, war, strife, all the division, everything, it came down. And it came down to these gods. And they worshipped these gods. And Moses was saying, listen, listen, Shema, listen, be ready. You thought the desert was hard, it's going to become harder. When you enter this land, it's going to become even more difficult. Learn from the previous generation, your older peers, learn from their mistakes, brace yourselves. A lot of times graduating from school is not enough. We have some students here. When you graduate school, you thought school was hard, it's not enough. Now it's time for the real thing, the real world, real life, real things. That's what the Bible, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, stay alert, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Who is the great enemy? The devil. Be of sober mind. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Canaanites, Sironians, Moabites, these were the people that they were going to encounter. These were the gods that they were going to encounter. If you're not careful, you're not going to influence them, but they're going to influence you and you're going to adopt their beliefs. Meaning, if you worship these gods, Moses is saying, you will be destroyed. It will not only destroy you and your faith, but it's going to destroy your families and your communities as well. I mean, just the importance of one individual. Imagine like, you know that one of you, you have so much power. If one of you decides to do something crazy and you could really, one person, it just takes one person, one act to destroy a whole thing, a whole movement. We hear about the gun shooting. It's one individual. 
we hear about these things happening around, it takes one individual saying, listen, 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 and be careful. You will be destroyed. You will not only destroy, but your families and the people around you. But there is hope. Only in God, only Yahweh, our true God, can you truly live, and you will have peace. So Moses is saying in Deuteronomy, stay faithful to God, who is the God of peace, who is the God of love, who is the God of forgiveness. He is the ultimate creator, the redeemer of nations and individuals. Listen to him. Listen to Yahweh. Only then you will have true blessing and hope for the life, the new life that you're about to enter, this new journey. One God, one loyalty, one heart, one devotion to God. And God is speaking to you and speaking to us, speaking to our church. And the question is, are you listening? Are you shamai? Shema. Turn to your neighbor and say Shema. Listen and hear. Number two, do justice. Do justice. Mishpat, Sadek, Sadeka, which means justice, righteousness. What does it mean, righteousness? What does it mean to have justice? It means charity. It means being generous to those in need. I'll say it again. Being generous is an action to those in need. You know, as a kid, remember, I think I was a good kid. Kind, I don't know. There's like mixed things, right? I remember when I was little, I was like six, right before I came to America. So I was like six. So I think I was like first grade, kindergarten, I'm not sure. But I, was com- I remember we were going to the market with my mother. And I remember seeing a lot of homeless people, right? Especially this one lady, she broke my heart. She had the leather thing at the bottom to cover her legs, and she was empty. She had no legs, and she would sell these herbs on the street. And I remember I would go to my mother, and I would say, can I have some money, you know, like, I don't know, like pegwon or ibegwon or something. And then take it and then go to the market. And I remember I would buy the herbs. I don't know what I, you know, you think you want to buy candy. I don't know what these are. It could have been like drugs or something. I don't know. No, okay, it's not drugs. So I remember buying it. And I remember just because I wanted to help this lady. But at the, at the same time, I also remember I have another memory of when I was a kid. Like, I would have candy. And, like, I remember, like, I got, like, these two boxes of H-Mart, this candy that I liked. And I remember, like, not, I remember my friend, I just gave him one and that's it. I had two boxes. I could have given him another box, but I just took... I, I kept it. I just gave him one candy. So I don't know. Maybe I was a good kid, not a good kid. But that's what it means to have mishpat, to have a sense of justice and righteousness. is to have and to care and to share and for those, to care for those in need. So to put it in understanding, in Matthew 12 and Mark 3, it shares a similar story. It's, a, it's about the Sabbath law saying no work. But in this story, Jesus said, nope. It's not about not working. It's about having justice every time. It's not about following laws, but it's about having justice for the poor every single time. Just like it's chapagheti over lamyon every time. Yes, it's justice every time. Turn to your neighbor and say, justice every time. So in Matthew 12 and Mark 3, in Mark 3 it says this, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Again, on the Sabbath, you are not allowed to do any work. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. 
Then Jesus asked them, "Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill?" But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And then in Matthew 12 version, Jesus asked this question. He said to them, "If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is what lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Do justice, do justice, mishpat, tzedakah, charity, love, and to care for the poor." To care for the poor, the least of these, least of these that represented, when you care for the poor before God, that it represented the greatest worship to God. That's why Jesus goes on in Matthew twenty-five. He talks about how he's gonna separate the sheep on the right and then the goats on the left. So if you're here, I'm sorry, or if you're looking from here, then you're safe. But it says the way that he will separate. It says when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed, blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was stranger, and you invited me in." I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, for what one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. You did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, turn to your neighbor and say, least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. We see that God, over and over, He teaches the people that the tenth of their income to be given to the poor, another tenth to be set aside every three years to be given to the poor. Meaning, God had a heart for the marginalized, for the poor, for the least of these. In Norway, they give like free apples. They Put it in front of their house, and for the poor to come, whenever there's extra food, and we see the same principle in the Bible. That amazing example, how God He wanted them, the the nation of Israel, to be set apart from these other gods. He is set apart. Our God Yahweh is set apart from these small gods. Everyone, every person, right now, every person here in this room, you are not exempt from this. All of us, we are called to live. 
in justice, in mishpah, tzedakah, with righteousness, to do justice, to live in justice. What does it mean to protect? What are the three categories? What's three, four categories of the people that God protects in the Bible? It's the widows. Because the widows at that time, if you're a widow, a man, it's equal to homelessness because they could not buy land. The woman did not have power. That's why Ruth and Naomi, we see the story of Boaz being the kinsman redeemer who redeems them. Their husbands both die. And we see that God is our redeemer. So widows, orphans with no parents, children. When they said, children, stay away, she said, he welcomes the children, the poor, the immigrants, the elderly. These are biblical mandate to protect the marginalized. And that falls on us. That responsibility falls on us, on you and me. So the laws were given to Israel, number one, is to protect Israel from their surrounding neighbors. And number two, is to set Israel apart because God is holy. He wanted them to be set apart. So these laws were given, number one, to protect Israel from their surrounding neighbors. Two, to set Israel apart because God is a holy God. We must be holy just as God is holy. And when you read through Deuteronomy, you'll see it and you'll see many of the laws, it will seem harsh. It will seem impossible to keep. But there was a reason why God gave strict laws. Because God desired, he wanted holiness for his people. Israelites needed strict laws for holiness. Think about it. They were nomads. They were just people on the street. And they needed structure. They needed laws because they, God was trying to teach them, look, if you're going to be among these individuals, these Canaanite gods, you have to protect yourself. And these laws are given for your protection. It's like missions training. There are some things that, uh, as missions team, uh, we are called to a higher standard. So there are some rules that we follow, right? At missions, like, like the way we dress, like what we wear, the jewelry, when we go overseas, or uh, what we talk about, how we talk, you know, especially the food. When, when you're given food, that we are called to finish the food. And we, we give smile, we say thank you always. We do the dishes, we do all the work. We are called to go on missions, why? To serve and to serve the people. And a lot of times when you see rookies and people who come, you come and you say, oh, why do we have to do this? Why do I have to watch what I, or, or what I post on social media and different things like that. But we understand that these laws, it may seem harsh, but they're given for a reason. And again, God is giving these rules and laws to protect Israelites and to set them apart from their following neighbors. So as a reader, some of the laws given in Deuteronomy is confusing to understand because we're looking at it from the perspective of the Western culture, the life that we're living in 2019. But you can't compare it to the Western perspective because it will be too hard for us to understand. But you have to understand the context of this time, the Israelites, the time that they were living in, that there were these nations that were surrounded, surrounding Israel, that these people served these powerful lowercase g gods that took control of their life. If you're not careful, you will be influenced. You won't influence, but you will be influenced. The surrounding neighbors did much evil in the eyes of God. 
They absolutely had no fear of God. They committed, you know, children's sacrifices to their God. And we see the evil and the slaves, the way they treated the slaves, they treated them with evil and they committed a lot of crime and did evil in the eyes of God. Meaning God wanted his people to be set apart. He wanted to bring Israel to a higher level of standard of justice, mishpat, of morality. Why? Because our God is a holy God and he expects his people to be holy. Ending with this in this passage, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. A lot of people love Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. But we forget what verse 10 says. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then people take that and, wow, faith, no work, that's good. But they forget verse 10, and this is the key. For we are God's handiwork, workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to what? To do. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So mishpat is what? It's action. Action. Justice. Do justice. Turn to your neighbor and say do justice. Almost finished. Number three. Last point. Number three. Number three. It's yes God or no God. Simple as that. The question is, are you for God or are you against God? It comes down to this, one or the other. It's simple. Occam's razor says, simplest answer is the best answer. We see sports, combat sports. We see people with new talents, with hype, hypey new talents and flashy movements. It's, uh, they try to introduce these new things, but a lot of times it's about Mastering the good old-fashioned basics and to master the basics. Right, Ronnie? With judo, yes? Imagine you come in, you're like, oh, master, look, this is all flashy movie here. Let's try this. And you try using your finger, and then you don't even know how to do the proper, the proper basics. Then what would happen? What would your master do to you? I think he would kill you. Yes. Okay. It's good old-fashioned basics, and it comes down to the basics. And it's yes, God, or no, God. The simplest answer is the best answer. And Moses gives a final ultimatum in this passage, in the story, especially when you read Deuteronomy 30, 31, 33. You see the end, the final of Moses' heart and what he's saying to the people. And he says in, in Deuteronomy 30, he says, Today I set before you life or death. He's saying, If you're for God, that's life. If you're against God, that is death. Life or death. I've given you the choice of life or death. You want blessing for God, curses against God. Blessings or curses, good or evil. So choose life. He says, love the Lord and listen to him. Shemai him. This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I set before you. Life and death. Blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It comes down to you making that decision today. For God equals blessings. 
It says in Deuteronomy 7, He is faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. If you are for God, He blesses the thousand generations those who love Him and keep His commandments. If you are against God, it's cursing. But those who hate Him, He will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate Him. Therefore, take care. Take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. And so the question is, Jesus Christ, your life today, Deuteronomy generation, is Christ your all? He is either your everything or your nothing. There is no in-between. The gospel will become your greatest hope or will become your greatest threat to your future and to your present. It will become your greatest threat because it will be a threat to your own dreams, to what you want for yourself. But it will become your greatest hope if you surrender yourself and you trust and you don't know that you need a Savior, that only Jesus Christ can save you. It will become your greatest hope. And at the end of Deuteronomy, you know, it breaks my heart to see Moses in this state. Think about it. He's an old man. He's fought the good fight. He's run the race faithfully. But unfortunately, He won't make it to the end, to the promised land. But still, Moses, he still wanted the best for the next generation. And Moses knows, he knows his people really well. Uh, He knows that things are going to end up badly, right? He just knows, right? He just knows how rebellious, how bad these individuals are. And even God, he predicts what is about to happen. I know it's a little bit long, but please follow along as we end just the Deuteronomy of what God tells Moses to write down and what Moses tells his people. And you may think it's encouraging, but actually it kind of goes down. Okay, let's go ahead and read. Deuteronomy 31, it says, uh, let's start with verse 2. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. Meaning he's not allowed to go to the promised land. And skip to verse 6. And be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, will be with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Skip over to verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them, And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day, they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. What was Moses doing this whole time? He was telling them, Don't follow these gods. He's giving them rules and laws. But the future is not very bright. Verse 19. Now write down this song and teach to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. 
Think about how Moses must have felt as he was writing, as he was writing these things, all these things, how angry and disappointed he must have felt that God was telling him, he's telling him what's about to happen when he just gave all these rules and encouragement, you know, be strong and courageous. And God is saying, nope, they're actually going to fall. When I've brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know that they are disposed to do. Even before I bring them into the land, I promised them an oath. So Moses wrote down the song that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them an oath, and I myself will be with you. After Moses finished writing the book, the words of the law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And this is the key. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There will remain as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord, while I am still alive with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? Moses knew how rebellious these people were. He knew what was going to happen because God showed it to him. Also, he knew his own people. So guys, at the end, the lesson that we can learn from the whole book of Deuteronomy is this. We could give you rules. We could set up laws, and we could have these laws that you can follow, and we can act the part. You could look good, and you could go to church every Sunday. You could follow these laws and traditions, and you go to church on holidays. You do what you want. You do what's right. You do a checklist. But at the end of the day, that is never enough. That's not what's going to change you. That's not what's going to save you. It's not by works, but it is by faith. And here's the good news here. God does not leave us disappointed. God gives us a promise of redemption. And you see it as you read the book of Deuteronomy. That through Jesus Christ, that he will give us a new heart and a new heart transplant. So the question is, how do we live as the Deuteronomy generation? How do we remain faithful, you new generation? The catch is, you need a new heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need a new heart. Your heart is the problem. The heart of these Israelites, they were stubborn. It was rebellious. It was hardened. And that's the fallen condition of every human being going back all the way to Adam and Eve that without a new heart, you will not change. In Deuteronomy 36, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Everything comes down to the heart. Deuteronomy 30.10 If you obey the Lord your God and keep His commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with what? With all your heart and with all your soul. And it goes on. 30.17-18 But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you that you will certainly be destroyed. Your heart. You need to watch your heart. Right now is your heart for God or is it against God? Is it for God or is it against God? And you see it all throughout the promise of having a new heart. Ezekiel 11, 19, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. 
I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Your heart is hardened. That's the problem. Your heart is so hardened to the point that when you hear the word of God, when you come and you say and you worship, your heart is so hardened to the point because you are so used to living your own life. If God is in your life, there's no way that we could stand here and worship casually because, again, the gospel is everything or nothing. And it's a promise that's given in Hebrews 8.10. This is the covenant established with the people of Israel after that time. I put my laws, what? In their minds and write them on their hearts. Repeat after me. Write the law in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. It's no longer, oh, I have to do this. I have to go to church or I have to do the right thing or I have to do this. But to our being, if it's who you are, then out of the overflow of your heart, your action will come forth. It's not, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to do that or that. But from the overflow of having a new heart, your desires change. And it says in Proverbs 3, 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on what? The tablet of your heart. Your heart. And that's the problem. If we're going to be a Deuteronomy generation. It's not about doing the right thing. Yes, it is in a sense. Yes, it's doing justice. But you have to do it from the right place. It has to come from the heart. And again, the old heart is crooked. It is evil. Your heart, you cannot trust your heart. It says that your heart is sick. It is beyond cure. That Who can trust your heart? There's a saying that says, trust your heart. Follow your gut. Trust your feelings. No, you cannot trust your heart. You cannot trust your feelings because your heart wavers. One day it's good, one day it's bad. But you have to lead your heart by the grace of God. Lead your heart by the Spirit of God. Allow God to write the law in your heart so that you, out of the overflow, you will act and you will live and you will be. When you be, you do because that's who you are. And what's inside you cannot be hidden. The passion that you have, it cannot be suppressed. It cannot be hidden. It has to come out. The creativity and the things that you have in your heart, it will come out. So if you're in God, you will be changed. You'll be transformed forever. So allow God to come into your life. Trust Him. Going back to point three, are you for God or are you against God? And today we're going to do something different. Instead of having a time where we pray for a while and we sing, uh, I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. We're going to sing a new song. And it's a song that says, uh, to rise up a chosen generation. His glory will fill up this room and that his glory will go forth from here to the nations. And it's talking about a church in victory. So as we sing this song, Can we just take a moment right now to close our eyes and let's just get our heart ready and let's just make sure that this song is a declaration of our faith to God. But before we go ahead and we sing, in the whisper of your own voice, do not worry about who's sitting next to you. This is between you and God and that is it and there's no one else. At the end of the day, your spouse, your mom, your father, 
your grandmother, they will not be there with you. It says it will be you and God and you and God alone and that's it. You have to look vertically. This is your life. This is your destiny. So not worrying about who's sitting next to us or the friend that's next to us or what they might think that we do. Don't worry about what they're going to think. Worry about your life. Worry about yourself. Going back to point number three. For God or against God. And that's it. Simple as that. Nothing more or nothing less. Do you have a new heart in God? Do you have a heart transplant in God? Or do you still have the old heart, the old life that you used to live? And if you do, we must pray. Let's ask God for a new heart and to ask God to put, us, put in us a new spirit within us. That when you ask that God will give us a new spirit and a new heart, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, the Lord says. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Is your heart a heart of stone? You don't feel anything. You feel no conviction. When you do wrong, you have no sense of repentance. There's no sanctification in your life. You are doing the same old things and it doesn't bother you anymore. In the past, you were passionate. In the past, you were, you were passionate for God and you lived for God. But now, somehow along the way, you become lukewarm. You become casual before the things of God. Where are you today? It's a question that you must ask. And God always asks questions in the beginning. Throughout the scriptures, he always asks. In the beginning when God asked Adam and Eve, where are you after they committed the sin, after they ate the fruit, the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? God asked, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but he asked because it's for you. It's for you to reflect upon that question. I'm not asking right now geographically where are you or in the season of your life of your school or your grad student, college student, or you're a working individual. But I'm asking right now, God is asking, where are you in your walk with God? Are you for God? Are you living for me? Or are you living for yourself? There's no in-between. The gospel is very clear. It's all or nothing. That is it. Nothing more, nothing less. So the question again, where are you? Where are you? Promises given. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. At this time, in the whisper of our voices, let's pray to God. Let's talk to Him. Pray to Him. For He is listening. Speak to Him. And let Him speak to you and listen. Shema Him. Listen to His voice. He's speaking to you. Listen to Him. Spirit is moving and He is moving and He's speaking. But are you listening? Are you hearing His voice? Let us take this time right now in the whisper of our voices. Let's pray to God. Let's recommit our life. Let's turn back to Him like the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, the wasteful son, the wasteful daughter. Prodigal meaning the wasteful individual. Let's run back to the Father. For the Father is not angry with you. He loves you. He desires you to come back home. Run to Him with all of your heart. Run to Him. For God will not disappoint. You will not be disappointed. You will not be left disappointed. He welcomes you. He loves you. And He has a plan for you. In the whispers of our voice.
Let's run back to our Father. Can we pray together? Let's pray together. Father, we just come before your God as a church. Holy Spirit, we run back to you. I pray, God, you are still within the conviction and compassion. A passion for your name. To seek your face. And to live for you and for your kingdom. Lord, forgive us, God, for taking your kingdom. For your message. For living this journey, this American life. God, where it's pursuing my own dreams, living for myself. Forgive me, God, of my lukewarmness. Where my heart has turned cold. And God, it's just turned to the point where God has just become numb to the things for your kingdom. And God, nothing, nothing moves my heart anymore, God. I pray, God, that instead of following my heart, Father, I pray, God, that I will lead my heart to the place where it will honor you. God, we'll run after you. Father, help us to live a life, God, that is passionate for your kingdom. God, it's all or nothing. It comes out of those two things. God, are we for God? Am I for God? Or am I against God? Lord, forgive me for living in this middle ground, compromising, compromising my sins and living for myself. Father, help me to look to you. For you are my greatest hope. The gospel will become my greatest hope. circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart with all your soul and live so God help us to give recommit our heart our life to you God once again God give us a new heart our heart is not strong enough our own heart is not strong enough God it is fickle 
It is good one day, it is bad the next day. Who can trust the heart? The heart is sick. It deceives us. But Lord, thank you for instilling within us a new heart. That a heart that desires you, a heart that is passionate for you. Even though we may not be perfect in this life, yes, we are going to fall. And you will fall. And you will fall hard. Every day you will struggle. But maturity is not about having a perfect record. It's about when you fall, you get right back up and you repent and you do it again. And you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. That's how you get to the finish line. You do it again. You fall, you've fallen hard, okay? So do it again. Get up and do it again. Run the race faithfully. Finish the race. Finish this one life that you have been given. This one life, one chance. Finish the race. And run well. Run well. Pass the baton. Pass the baton to the next generation. Pass it on to your children so that you may live. Not just you, but your community and your family and the people around you. Oh, God, help us to be a Deuteronomy generation, to be faithful, God, as we enter the promised land. Father, help us to be faithful today. And God, forgive us for all of our compromises. We look to you. We thank you. We love you. Let's pray together. Father, let your glory fall in this place. Start with us, Lord. Let it go forth from here. To the nations, let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather. For God, we have gathered in your name. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that we have in you, God. The promise that, God, that you will instill within us a new heart. Not no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. God, it's a law that is written in our heart, oh God. So God, transform us today. Renew us. Renew our walk with you so that we may live for you and for you alone. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen.